Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15 is where we're going to be at. When I was uh, thinking about preaching through the book of Romans, I was really excited about, uh, of course, chapter 6, chapter 7, especially chapter 8, which I think chapter 8 is one of the uh, greatest chapters in the entire Bible. And uh, then chapter 12 with all the practical application. Really, when I thought about preaching through chapters 14 and 15 and 16, um, you know, I, I figured I would do a sermon or so in, in each one and just um, that there'd be some, some okay stuff in there. Uh, honestly, chapters 14 and 15 have been my favorite to preach through so far. Just kind of an unexpected thing, maybe because I, I didn't have as much uh, experience in um, teaching out of them. But, man, I thought chapter 14 was incredibly helpful in how to handle the gray issues of life. And now chapter 15 has really stirred up some cool stuff in my heart about missions, okay? So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at uh, just the topic of missions, the topic of the gospel to the world, to your neighbor, to your children. And so Romans chapter 15, uh, we're going to actually be looking at quite a bit of the chapter, but for the sake of time, I'm going to read verses 15 through 21. So Romans chapter 15, and then I'm going to be looking at verses 15 through 21. So when you find that, won't you stand with me? And I will read this. You follow along in the Bible or on the screen. And then we'll pray and we'll get started. Verse 15. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, By the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Eliakim, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Father, we thank you for the mission of the gospel to the world. We thank you that that gospel came to us. Thank you, Jesus, that we have heard it, that many in this room have believed, their lives have been changed. And God, I pray that now we would focus our attention, our ambition, our aim, our goal. Upon bringing the gospel to those who don't have it. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you have a seat, please? I wonder when you think of the term missionary, what do you think of? And I would just take a stab, a guess, that two things come to your mind. Okay? Number one would be someone who leaves, right? Someone who goes somewhere where there isn't a gospel, where there isn't a church, where there's not a a strong work of faith, strong work of Christ. And so they go, and then the second thing you probably think of is, again, someone who tells somebody 
about who Jesus is, about what he's done, and about what he's promised to do. Okay? That would not be a bad definition of a missionary. I could go with that. And so let's say that we take that definition. Somebody who goes, somebody who brings the gospel, okay? So working with that definition, then who would be the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth? Now, there's a whole bunch of them, right? Man, the Apostle Paul who planted churches all the way around the known world of his day. We're going to talk about that later, talk about him later. Then you got like William Carey. He's in India for seven years before he ever has his first convert. Adoniram Judson, first, uh, first Baptist missionary. Lots of them, those guys that were killed down in uh, Central America with the Aka Indians, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint. Maybe those, but I tell you what, I, I know the answer to this, okay? So there's no debate. You can't, can't argue. I know the answer. The greatest missionary ever was Jesus Christ, all right? Because he, here's why he's the greatest missionary. Think about those two points, all right? He left. Man, did he come a long ways or what, right? He left the glories of heaven. He left the place where there were tw- where was 24-7 around the clock celebration, eruption of praise and enjoyment of God the Father. He leaves that and he puts on human flesh and he comes to a place that is dark and without the gospel. He comes to a people without hope and without salvation. So I believe Jesus is the greatest missionary. Now, You thought that was just a cool little introduction, didn't you? No, it actually is in the text, all right? Back up in your text. So we didn't read this verse, okay? So back up. We're in verse 15. Back up to verse 8, okay? Now, here's what Paul is doing. Paul is showing how he, in his little mission, fits into the big mission, okay? So in verse 8 of chapter 15, he says this. For I tell you that Christ became a servant To the circumcised. Let's have a little definition here. What's he mean, circumcised? A Jew, right? An Israelite. Someone of the tribes of Israel, okay? He became a servant to the Israelites to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Who's a patriarch? That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in your Old Testament, okay? Verse 9, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And then there's these quotes from the Old Testament. Now, what is Paul doing here? What Paul is doing here is he's showing how Jesus is that missionary, okay? Jesus stepped out of the heavens and he came to earth to be a servant amidst Israel, okay? And then, then what's the reason? It said to confirm the promises to the patriarchs. Now, if you went through our God story in the, in the month of August, this is all like, oh yeah, I mean, we talked about this every week, right? What does he mean by confirm the promises to the patriarchs? Well, way back in your first book of the Bible in Genesis, remember what happens? Man, man is in sin, man is without hope, and God appears to a guy named Abraham. And he tells Abraham, Abraham's 75, by the way, he tells him he's got no kids, wife is barren. She can't have kids. And he says, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you. I'm, I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you a son from Sarah, your wife. And through your family, I'm going to build a great nation. Your descendants, your grandchildren and great-grandchildren, great-great-great, great-great-great-great-great, they're going to be as many as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the sea. And, and I'm going I'm to make a nation out of them. And then through that nation, through your family, here's the big one, ready? All the people of the earth will be blessed. There's going to be coming, someone coming through your family. He's going to save everybody. See, he, he's going to save, he's going to be the Savior. All right, so what, go back to verse 8. What is, what is Paul saying? Well, Jesus came to be a servant 
okay, to Israel to confirm the promises made through Abraham. He, he is the Savior, all right? And then this last part, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God. I mean, this, this verse has a lot of hard words, doesn't it? Gentiles, what is that? That's anybody who's not a Jew, right? Anybody who's not a Jew, all right? And so, so here's a better way to think of Gentile, because this is going to come up over and over again in this little section. Whenever you think of Gentile, here's what you need to hear. People to the ends of the earth. That's, that's, that, that was, in Paul's mind, that's who the Gentiles were. Okay, so you got Israel. They're in this little bitty pocket, right? Right there on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. And then you got people all over the world. Those are the Gentiles, okay? And so, so what he's saying here is that Jesus came to fulfill the mission of God bringing salvation to the ends of the earth, all right? Jesus is the greatest missionary. Now, here's what Paul does next. Paul shows how he himself fits into this big mission, all right? So you got this big mission of Jesus. He's going to reach to the ends of the earth with salvation, all right? Now, Paul's like, all right, how do I fit in to that mission, all right? Look at verse 15 and 16. Paul says, but on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus, all right? So he's going to serve Jesus, to the Gentiles, what does that mean? Ends of the earth, right? Peoples all over the world. And then he says something kind of strange here. In the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You know what a priest is, right? A priest is somebody who offers an offering to God, right? And Paul says, you know, you know what? I'm, I'm a kind of priest. Actually, the New Testament says this about you in, in, in the epistle of Peter. It says that if you're joined to Jesus, you're, you're a kind of priest in the sense that you have, a, you have direct connection to God. And you're offering praises and offerings to God. But you, you, know, you know what the offerings to God that Paul is, is giving? Do, do you see that? He says he's offering the Gentiles, the peoples to the ends of the earth, to God. So whenever Paul goes somewhere with the gospel and somebody gets saved and they begin to be a worshiper of God, Paul's like, hey, that's another offering unto God. All right, and so Paul is showing how he finds his place in the mission of God, in the great story of God. Verse 17. Verse 17 says, In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Man, Paul is, is so pumped up about the fact that he gets to be a part of the mission, that Jesus is going to use him to actually fulfill this great mission of bringing people all over the world to come to know God. And he gets great satisfaction out of that. Now, verse 18, Paul's got no delusions about who's really doing the work here. You know, have you ever thought about this? Whenever, whenever you get the chance to share with somebody, maybe some of you had the chance to share the gospel with your kids, and they, they, they were born again, you know, and they came to put their faith in Christ, and their life was transformed, and they began to live the Christian life. Do you sit back and say, man, I am pretty awesome, you know? Look at what I did, okay? That would be a mistake, Okay. That would be a mistake because you actually did not do that. Okay, God used you. You're part of the mission. But what does verse 18 say? Here's each clear to say, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. All right, so Paul is very clear here. He knows it's actually Jesus who accomplishes the mission, but he gets to be a part of the mission. Now, the next thing he's going to do is he's going to describe what happens when the gospel hits people. Okay, so in Japan, in uh, Indonesia, in India, in Madagascar, in Tunisia, in 
all over the world, whenever somebody is awakened to the gospel and they hear the truths about Jesus and they believe them, what happens? What happens? What's the result of that? Verse 18. You ready? It says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring, a, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Number one, what happens when the gospel hits people? Okay, In Japan, in Indonesia, in Fargo, over on Elm Street here in Woodward, right? Over on Fifth Avenue. Over on, what, what happens when the gospel hits people? Well, number one, they begin to obey Jesus. Okay, now why is that? Is it because now they have to? That's what a lot of people think, isn't it? A lot of people think of, you know what they think you did this morning? If you tell them you went to church, they're like, oh, man, sorry. You know, you went and some guy told you what you had to do, huh? That's actually completely not true, all right? The obedience to Jesus that comes about from the gospel is not a have to, it's a want to. You know why it's a want to? Because we believe, right? We believe. Okay, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you're going to obey him. In Romans chapter 1, way back at the beginning of Romans, when Paul is talking about his, his mission, here's what he says in Romans 1.5. He says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. You hear that? The obedience of faith. That's Romans 1.5. Okay, so the obedience that comes from faith. And and so here's what's true. Whenever we believe what Jesus said about himself, whenever we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what the Bible says he's going to do, you know what? You're going to obey. Why would you not obey? Have you ever thought about that? Why would you not obey if you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do? If you believe he's the creator and the standard of the universe, that's what the Bible says. If you believe that Jesus is truth, Jesus said that about himself, John 14, 6. He said, look, I'm the truth. If you believe what John 7 says about Jesus, he can't ever lie. Nothing he says is wrong. All right? So Jesus is truth. He can't ever lie. He's wisdom. He's righteousness. The book of Acts says in him we live and move and have our being. John 15 says he's the resurrection and he's the life. John 10 goes beyond that and says not only is Jesus life, but Jesus brings life to the people who trust in him. And not only does he bring life, he brings abundant life. All right? That's what Jesus said about himself. If we believe that Jesus loves us, that he proved that love by dying on the cross, why in the world would we not obey you see obedience is just based in faith it's whenever whenever i finally come to the conclusion you know what jesus is right he rose from the dead he's not lying everything he said is true oh what does that mean for me well that means some things for me if jesus is is true then then i'm gonna start living this way not that way because that way would be to go against him and he's right right so so faith brings about obedience. In John chapter 14, verse 23, this is what Jesus said about himself. He said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And then in verse 24, he said, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. I mean, it's pretty much as simple as that. That if, if, you, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and if, if you do, you're going to love him. You know why? Because there's nothing unlovable about him. All right. So if you believe that he is who he says he is, you're going to love him. And if you love him, you're going to obey him. All right, and so what's Paul say? All right, whenever the gospel hits any people group around the world, the Gentiles around the whole world, what happens? Obedience. They begin to obey. What's the second thing that happens? Well, turn your page back one page, or it is in my Bible anyway. It's John 15, verse um, 11. 
What else is going to happen? Well, praise is going to happen. John 11, or John 15, 11, <laughs> wow. Romans 15, 11 says this, and again, praise the Lord. This is a quote from the Old Testament. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Remember how we're thinking of the word Gentiles? All the peoples around the world, okay? Praise the Lord, all you peoples around the world, and let all the peoples extol him. You know, you know what the word extol means? I didn't. I had to look it up. I Googled it. You know what the word extol means? It means to erupt in praise. It means to erupt in celebration. It means like a spontaneous celebration of joy. It's what happens when your college football team scores a great touchdown. There's this extolling, this rejoicing. There was not a whole lot of that among Oklahoma fans last night. Now in Ohio, man, they were extolling all over. It was all over Ohio. Extol, 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 right? All right. But what's he saying here? He He's saying, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. Whenever the gospel comes, people, they'll praise God. John Piper wrote a great book. It's called Let the Nations Be Glad. I think um, Michelle sent out uh, an excerpt from it to all the small group leaders. Because here's the premise of the book. The premise of the book is it goes like this. Whenever people worship Jesus, whenever, whenever they see who he really is, They're going to worship, they're going to love him, they're going to delight in him, they're going to be excited about him, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to share him. They're going to be on mission. And when people share share Jesus, you know why they're going to share him? Because there's people out there who don't love him and don't delight him and don't worship him, and they don't see who he is. Okay? And so it's in us. Okay? So, So worship leads to missions, which leads to more worship, which leads to more missions, which leads to more worship. You see where I'm going? Okay, that, that's, that's, the way, that's the way the circle goes, all right? Because it is in us to share the thing that we think is awesome. You know how I know that? There's this thing called Facebook. Have you ever heard of it, you know? Okay, and so people put things on there that they think are awesome. Now, let me tell you the truth. Most of the stuff is not, okay? Like, like there's some of you that you think recipes are a whole lot better than they really are, Okay? Because, like, you're sharing them constantly. Share, 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 share. And I'm like, hold on. I mean, let's, let's just share the really awesome ones, all right? You know? Toast with peanut butter. Share, you know? That's not, that's, that's not awesome. It's okay, but... But it, why does Facebook do that? Why do they have a share button? You know why? Because they know that when you see something that you think's really cool, what do you want to do? They know that about you. They know that about humanity, okay? That, that's in us, okay? And so, so whenever we worship, whenever, whenever we see the glory of God, here's what we know. There are people out there that don't see it. You remember way back in Romans 1? You probably don't, but verse 18 through 23 or so, it told us, you know what the root of sin is? The root of sin is that people don't see the glory of God. They're not impressed with God. When they think of God, they're like, Ooh, yeah, okay, that's great. You went to church. Hmm, I slept in. That, that's what they think. They, they're not impressed by him. They're, they're not wowed by him. You know why? Because they don't know him. They've not seen him. They've not experienced him. They don't believe what the Bible says about what he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. And, and so once a person gets it, once they, they, they're a worshiper, then they want to share with people who don't. That's called missions. All right? So what's going to happen when the gospel hits a people? Okay? Well, first of all, they're going to be obedient, right? Because they're, all right, man, I trust Jesus. You're right. So I'm changing my life. 
Second thing, they're going to begin to worship. They're going to begin to have great praise and celebration in all that God is and all that God has done. What's the third thing that's going to happen? They're going to have great joy. Look at verse 10, Romans 15, 10. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with, with his people. So again, the Old Testament is telling us this is what's going to happen when the gospel hits the ends of the earth, when it hits all those peoples all around the world. It, what's going to happen? Obedience, praise, and now joy. You, you, you know why it's joy? Because what God brings in the gospel is spectacular. And we want people to, to have joy. There'll be folks that come in the office every week, and they come in for various reasons. Maybe they have a need. Maybe they have a bill that they need help with. Maybe their life is falling apart. Maybe they don't have any food to eat. And so we get a chance as pastors to sit down with them. We get a chance to fill out a little inventory about their budget and their life and their goals and where they're at. But then every person, you know what we get to do that's our favorite thing? We get to tell them about who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, why do we want to do that? Is it because the Benevolence Committee has told us, you've got to do this? And they're like, all right, I've got to tell you something before we wrap this up. You know? Is it because you know, that's the way they pay for the food? You know, all right, we'll give you food, but you've got to listen to me for five minutes. Nobody else will, so you've got to. And, you know, is that why we do that? That is not why we do that. You know why we do it? Because we want them to have joy. Right? They're without God. Many of them without God. Many of them without Christ. Many of them don't know about him. And so we've got this person sitting across from us. They may have came in for a completely different reason, but we discern they don't know who Jesus is. Man, I want to tell you who he is. Because I want you to have joy. I want you to have joy. Finally, what's going to happen when the gospel hits a person? They're going to have hope. Look at verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. That's Jesus. And even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, the peoples all over the world, and in him, in Jesus, will the Gentiles hope. You know what hope is? Hope is a confident expectation of good things to come. And the Bible says when the gospel hits people, that no matter their circumstance, no matter how, how their life has crashed, no matter their disabilities, no matter their, 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 their condition, what, what's going to happen is that gospel is going to bring hope. It's going to bring this mountain of expectation of good things that God is going to do. That's what the gospel brings. So, Paul says, man, I get to be in this great mission, and here's what Jesus has done through me. He has brought the gospel to the Gentiles, to people all over the world, and those people have come to obey. Those people are, are worshipers. They're praisers. Those people have joy, and those people have hope. All right, now, next thing Paul tells us. He tells us how he brought the gospel to people. So how, how do you get the... How do you get the gospel to your neighbor? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever looked across the street at your neighbor and known, man, that, that guy, I don't think he knows who Jesus is, and, and he really needs to. And someday he's going to die, or someday Christ's going to come back, and, and if he doesn't know Christ, he's going to have to bear the weight of his own sins in an eternal hell. And so, man, I want to get the gospel to my neighbor. How do I do that? That's a great question. Let's look at how Paul does that. First of all, Paul, let's just remind ourselves of what we already know. We do that through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Okay, uh, the bottom of verse 19, by the power of the Spirit of God. 
Okay, so we always do that through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, dependent upon him. Okay, now let's get to the practicalities, though. How do we do that? Verse 19. Uh, no, actually, it's the end of verse 18. By word. Okay, do you see that little phrase? Let me read verse 18 for you. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word. Okay? You know how the gospel gets to your neighbor? You know how it gets to Japan? Do you know how it gets to Madagascar? Do you know how it gets to India? Somebody says it, right? Somebody speaks it. Somebody shares. Somebody writes a letter. Somebody sends a text. Somebody sends an email. Somebody has a conversation. Okay, the word of God, here's what we know about it. It's the most powerful force in the universe. The words in this book can do things that nothing else can do. Nothing else can do. Not armies, not governments, not wealth or organizations, not intelligence or logic or reason or brilliance or skill. The word of God is able to transform the heart. And here's the gospel. You have it. If you're here today, maybe you don't know the gospel. I'm not talking about you then on this. But those of you here today who you would say, I am a Christian. I have turned away from my sin and I put my faith in Christ. I know who Jesus is. I know what Jesus has done. I know what he promised he would do. You have the gospel. Be on mission. What does that mean? It means you speak it by word. Remember what Paul said way back at the beginning of Romans? He's talking about his own, his own life. He says this, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile, to the ends of the earth. It's for everybody. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, of who Jesus is and what Jesus said and what he did and what he promised to do. I'm not ashamed of that. You know what the devil has done? The devil has kind of twisted things so that many people are ashamed. There are many Christians who genuinely have been born again and yet for some reason their mouth is closed when it comes to sharing the truths about Jesus. Why would that be? Surely we're not ashamed of the gospel. You know why it is? A lot of people say something like this. They'll say, man, my, my, my neighbor, my, my dad, my grandpa, my, my uncle, my, my friend, my brother, they, they so desperately need Jesus. And I'm like, well, have you ever told them about Jesus? Well, no, it'd just, it just be really awkward. And, and, you know, I know they don't want to hear. And, and, and you know, I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want it to be awkward. Almost as if we're, like, giving them something bad. The gospel's not bad. Would you do that if it was a bucket of money? Let's say you found this great big barrel of money. Would, would, it, would I ever be like, man, I would love to tell Bonnie about this barrel of money, but I don't want it to be awkward between us, you know? I don't want her to think like I'm trying to shove money down her throat, you know? I don't, I don't, I don't, want, her to, I don't, I don't, I don't want her to think I'm not really her friend. So I'll just keep it all myself and won't say anything about it. Well, that wouldn't be a very good friend. Is the gospel better than money? I see a lot of people would say no. For real. People all over the world would say no. But again, here's what it comes down to. Do you believe Jesus? If you believe Jesus, oh man. The gospel will do things in you that money can never, ever, 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 ever can do. So, would you tell people about Jesus? If you are a Christian here this morning, 
would you enter this great mission? Here's what, here's what Paul did. He set out for us at the beginning. Here's what Jesus has done. Man, he has brought the gospel. It's going to the ends of the world. Wherever it goes, people are going to obey Jesus. They're going to praise Jesus. They're going to have joy in Jesus. They're going to have hope in Jesus. And now Paul's like, man, I'm, I'm right in there. Man, I'm telling people I'm taking the gospel by word. And so what I'm asking you today, Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, if you're here today and you're a believer, are you telling anybody about Jesus? Anybody? Are you telling your kids about Jesus? Why would you not tell your kids about Jesus? Your kids have to listen to you, right? You tell them about everything else, about brushing their teeth and trimming their toenails and about how to use the toilet and about, you know, they can't have only so many Pop-Tarts in the morning. You tell them about all kinds of stuff. Why wouldn't you tell them about Jesus? Why wouldn't you want at every opportunity to tell them, this is what he did, and this is what he said, and this is what the Bible says, and this is the hope that we have, and here's what this verse says. Why wouldn't you tell people about Jesus? Why wouldn't you tell your neighbor? Why wouldn't you tell your coworker? Speak the words of Jesus. That is the work of ministry at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. If you're a believer here today, and maybe you haven't been a believer very long, maybe, maybe you just recently became a Christian, you got baptized, and now you're coming to church, and you're trying to grow as a Christian, and you're like, you know what? I kind of want to serve. But you look around and you're like, well, Bonnie's the one that sings and, you know, Michelle and Deborah, they play the piano and I can't play anyway. And, you know, there's already guys back there shaking hands and doing the offering. I guess there's no jobs for me. Well, let me tell you, first of all, that's not true. We can hook you up, okay? But more importantly, the job of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church is not to sing. It's not to play the piano. We can actually get along without the pianos and the, and the organ. We, we can do that without it. You know, it's nice with it, but we can do it without it. The job of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church is to tell our community, tell our world what Jesus has done. So here's the reality. The jobs are never all filled. You ever thought about that? Never are they all filled. Forever we need people who will share the glorious deeds of Christ with the next generation. If you came to Pastor Dan's training on the children's ministry for four weeks, that's what we heard. What what are we doing at Lincoln Avenue? We want kids, when they come in our ministry, we want them to know what what happened in creation, what happened in the fall, and what happened in the flood, and what happened in the exodus, and with the promises to Abraham, and with the kings and the prophets, and the incarnation, and the church, and the cross, and and the kingdom, and the second coming. We want them to know. We're going to tell them the glorious deeds. We need people who will sign up and say, I will be in there and I'll love them and I'll play tag and and, and we'll do foot races and and we'll eat hot dogs. And and when we get to class, I will tell them what Jesus has done. That's what it means to be on mission. By word. Keep going. Verse 18. By word and deed. And deed. What does that mean? What that means is your life should match what comes out of your mouth. Okay? If you're saying Jesus can be trusted, you know what really means a lot? If you're trusting Jesus, right? If you're saying, hey man, Jesus won't let you down. Trust him. Well then hopefully you're doing the same with your life. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, I think Paul says a really cool thing. He's talking to the church of Thessalonica and he says this in verse five. He says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, what does that mean? They came into Thessalonica. You know what they started doing? Telling people about Jesus. Here's what he did. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what God said to Abraham and Jesus is that guy. They, they, they started telling people about Jesus. Okay, but not just that. Notice, not only in word, but also in power 
and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. What's Paul saying? He said, man, we backed up what we said with our life. Can can I just ask you something as your pastor? Would you please, if you're a believer here today and you identify yourself with this body of believers, would you please don't live in ways that contradict what we say about the gospel. We need our witness out there to match what we say about Jesus. We need that. So don't disobey. Be people of integrity. Be people of honesty. Be people who who care for others. Be people who minister to others. Be people who, who live out the gospel in word and in deed. Notice what he says next in verse 19, by signs and wonders. You know, I, I think our first response is, man, I wish God would just do this a whole bunch more, you know? Let's, let's see some miracles, God, a whole bunch of them. Well, you know, what we find in the Scriptures is that God does that in certain periods and certain times of the church history. But let me tell you the miracle that He keeps doing. I saw this up close and personal, like it was in me in May of 1990. The miracle He keeps doing is He keeps taking out hearts of stone and putting in hearts of flesh. He keeps changing people's whole world. And he's done that with many of you. That's a testimony of the gospel. In word, in deed, by signs, and by wonders. And then Paul says something I think is pretty cool. Verse 19, he says, So that from Jerusalem all the way around to Eliakim. Okay, we got to do a little map here. Okay, so picture the Mediterranean, okay? Here's the Mediterranean Sea, all right? Right down here at the southern eastern part is Jerusalem, Israel. So Paul says from Jerusalem all the way up through Samaria, through uh, what is modern-day Syria, through what is modern-day Turkey, through what is modern-day Greece, through what is modern-day, get my geography right here, I think it's like Albania, Croatia, Albania maybe, um, all the way to the top of Italy. That's where Eliacrim is, Okay. So all the way around there, Paul says this, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. You know what it means to fulfill something? It means to fill it full. Huh? That was obvious, wasn't it? First generation of my kids, they're kind of in generations, you know? First generation, they didn't know any better. Hot summer day, I'm thinking of my first three, they would complain. They, they never didn't do this after this, but they would complain, we're bored. Nothing to do. It's too hot outside. Nothing to do. And they'd start fighting and bickering. I have an answer. And I'd give them a Walmart sack. I'd tell my yard doesn't look like some of yours. Some, I, some of you think you're on like the ninth hole of Pebble Beach or something, all right? <laughs> Mine doesn't look that way. So I'd tell them, I'd say, go out. You don't come back in until you have fulfilled your ministry, all right? Until you filled your sack full of weeds. Right? You fill them full of weeds, you come back in. When, when it's full, you can come back inside in the air conditioning. And I bet you won't be bored ever again. And they weren't. I mean, it worked. All right? What's Paul doing? He, he's holding up his spiritual Walmart sack, I guess. And he's saying, God, I filled it up. I fulfilled my ministry. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that Paul shared with every single person from Jerusalem all the way up around northern Italy? It doesn't mean that. 
Paul had a unique ministry. He was a church planner. That's what God called him to. God calls us all different things, right? And, and Paul's ministry was church planning. So he would go into a new region. He'd go in the town square. He'd start telling people about Jesus. He'd go in the synagogue. He'd start telling people about Jesus. Usually he got beat up, you know, stoned. You know, things went rough. But certain people would hear. They would listen. They would understand. They would believe. They would be saved. They'd be transformed. He'd start a little church. He'd grow that church up till the church got strong enough to be on its own. And then he'd say, all right, now you go. Do the same. You go make disciples. And I'm going to the next place. And he did that all the way around there so that he could truly say, there is a gospel witness, there's a church, there's, there's Christians meeting together all the way around from Jerusalem, all the way around to Eliakim, up in northern Italy. He said, man, that's done. And so, see, Paul would have never come to Woodward. Like, if Paul were alive right now, he would not, you, we couldn't invite him to come. He wouldn't come. You know why he wouldn't come? He'd get on the phone and he'd say, well, don't you have a church there? And I'm like, yeah, we got we had a church. We're in three services. We run, you know, 500 or so on a Sunday morning. Click, you know. He'd be like, he, he said, no, that's, you, you're there. You're the witness. You go make disciples in your town. I'm going somewhere where there is not. I mean, that was Paul's ministry. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, I've fulfilled. I've, I've spread churches all the way around there. I'm done. Okay, now, very important. What do you do when you feel like you've done what God's called you to do? Well, a lot of people would say, well, it's time to retire, right? It's time to spiritually retire. It's time to be done with what God called me to do. No, 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 no. Man, this is my favorite part of the sermon, by the way, so get ready, all right? Verse, verse, verse 20. So verse 19, he says, I fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Verse 20, and thus I make it, favorite word here, my ambition, ambition. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where nobody's ever been. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about Spain. Now, what's an ambition? An ambition is when you want to accomplish something in this case, a spiritual ambition for God. Let's stop right now. I'm, I'm going to ask you again, okay? So this is time number one. So if you don't know the answer, that's okay. If you don't know the answer at time number two, we're getting a little less, okay? But time number one, what is your ambition? What's your ambition? What is your spiritual? In other words, what do you want to accomplish for Jesus Christ? All right now, I'm talking to believers here, okay? So if you got no answer, let me remind you, God has loved you. God has plucked your feet out of the fires of an eternal hell and joined you to his son, Jesus Christ. God has forgiven your sins and adopted you into his family and put his Holy Spirit inside of you to give you power to do whatever he calls you to do. You have been loved with an everlasting love. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have joy inexpressible. You're full of glory, packed with hope for the future. Okay, it is in that spirit that I want you to think about what is your ambition? Because here, here's what's just not a suitable answer. It's not okay to say, well, I know that I'm saved, but I don't really want to do anything for Jesus. Gosh, that just seems wrong. That seems like you've missed something. Okay, so what is your ambition for the kingdom of God. Now for Paul, look at verse 24. 
I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Okay, when he would have said that, when the people in, at the Roman church would have read that, you know what they would have done? They would have choked if they were eating. <laughs> Spain, you know why? Let's go back to our Mediterranean map. Do you guys like our invisible map here? Okay, so Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, then what's modern day Syria, and then Turkey, and then Greece, and then, you know, Croatia, and Albania, and northern Italy, and, and then you go around the horn to uh, France, and then you, the last country you hit... Before you go out, what is that little bitty uh, narrow little waterway that goes out into the Atlantic Ocean? Is that Gibraltar? Or straight to Gibraltar maybe? Anyway, before you go out that little bitty inlet until you're in the Atlantic Ocean, that last piece of dirt there, you know what that is? Spain. It's as far west as you could go. They... They didn't know about Woodward, Oklahoma that day. You know that? They didn't know about They didn't know about the United States. That didn't happen to way later. Okay? So Spain is the last thing on the map west. That's where Paul is planning on going. I can't tell you how much I love that. I, I, I figured up this is probably your, after I say all this, you're going to be like, you spent time doing that? I did. So... Romans is written around 56 or 57 A.D., okay? We know that for sure because of, the, of what he says later in chapter 15, 16 about the offering he's going to take Jerusalem. So around 56, 57 A.D., if Paul was born again and saved and, and called into the ministry at around 33 A.D., that's a pretty good estimate because that's at the, you know, Jesus was crucified, we think, around 33 A.D., so after the resurrection and a little bit of time, then Paul was called into ministry. We know that from the book of Acts. So let's say he was called in around 33 A.D. That means he's been about this ministry business for 23 to 25 years. That's that's a rough estimate. 23 to 25 years. Okay. Now let's say he was 30 years old. I don't know how old he was when he was called. I don't, nobody knows that, but I'm just thinking he was already a leader in the, in the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. And so you couldn't be like a young 16 year old pup doing that. All right. So we're guessing maybe around 30, could have been 40, could have been 50 actually. We don't know, but let's just guess 30. All right. So he started at 30. It's been around 25 years. He is in his mid fifties. Now, when you're in your mid-50s, what are you usually thinking toward? Yeah. Or at least, like, like if you're in the oil field and you're, and you're in your 50s, you're not thinking, man, I hope in 10, 15 years I can be a roughneck, you know? You're, usually, you're not thinking that. Man, I hope I drag pipe around the wells. No, you're usually thinking, man, I hope I can get to a position where I'm in a truck or I'm in a pickup or I'm pushing tools or I'm doing, right? That's what, you're, you're wanting to get to a place where you're pulling back. Right, And so what makes sense to me is that Paul would have said, man, I, I, I want to pastor Ephesus. He found, you know, why not? Man, they love him there. Colossae, Thessalonica, all these great churches they've got. He could be in it, pastor any one of those. You know, when, when you're in your 50s, you're, you're usually thinking about your comfort and you're, you're trying to get into a good financially stable position. The kids are out of the house, unless you're the Dirkses, then you're, you're starting over again, you know. But that, that's definitely the trend. So why wouldn't he think, man, Pastor Corinth, Pastor, Pastor Philippi, instead, what is he saying? I'm getting a one-way ticket to the end of the world. Literally, that's what he just said when he said, I'm going to Spain. He's in his 50s. He's probably got health problems. We know he did. We know he had problems with his eyesight. We know he had problems with his health. He was a thorn in the flesh. But here's the thing you got to know about Paul. He had ambition. You see that? Ambition. I want to do something for God. 
Why wouldn't you want that? He had ambition. And, and why Spain? Here, here's the only thing I can think of. From what he said about, I want to go where, I, wanna, I don't want to build on somebody else's foundation. I want to go where there's, I, I think Paul was the kind of guy where when he thought about, there's people living somewhere there west in Spain, those barbarians, they don't know Jesus. They haven't heard. It hadn't got that far yet. They don't know who he is. They're going to live their whole life. And they're going to die in their sins. And they're going to go to hell forever. Because they don't know Jesus. Book my ticket. That's the kind of guy Paul was. I don't know how that is. You and I, we, we still get to talk to people who've never heard about Jesus. Isn't that cool? I talked to a lady the other day. She's probably my age. And uh, came in just in a crisis. We sat down. I said, let me, let me tell you a story. We went all the way through the gospel. At the end of it, I, I love this. I said, I said, what do you think of what I just told you? She said, I've never heard that. Well, that's pretty cool. But here's the reality. She probably has been around people who knew it all, their, all her life. The thing I thought about when Paul said that was I thought about, man, I'm so thankful to you as a church. Thank you for letting me go on mission trips. Because I'm, I'm telling you, this is one of the greatest experiences of my life. Last year in India, eight of those churches that we planted, that we dedicated, we didn't plant them, we dedicated them. Eight of those churches, first church in the village, ever. Isn't that cool? You guys sent the money for that? We were able to dedicate. And I remember coming to the, those first couple um, way up in the mountains and we had took us forever to get through there. Guys moving rocks out of the way to get our vehicles through. We got up in there. They start rounding up the people. I don't know what they were saying. I kind of think here's what they were saying. Hey, come, come look at the two white guys. You know, I think that's what they were saying. <laughs> really? Like, I, I think so. They gather them in there. They don't know what to do. They're, they're like milling around in this little, this little hut that we built as a church, you know. And they're milling around in there. And the people, are, the, our handlers are like, sit down, sit down, sit down. So they're kind of, you know, they all sit down. And then, man, I scrapped my sermon. You know, I, I thought church dedications. That's what I was going to preach on. Man, I saw what just happened, and I was like, okay. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, you know? And I started with the beginning, and I, I took them through Abraham and the promise of a redeemer, the promise of a savior. I took them through how, how Adam and Eve sinned in the garden because they didn't trust God, they didn't believe him, and what that results in. And then I took them all the way to Jesus and the, and the kingdom and the cross and the resurrection, and man, during, during that time, and there would be time. Well, I remember when I got to the point, part about Abraham and how God promised me to have a son and how, you know, he was 90, or Sarah was 90 and he was 100 before they had a son. You know, there was a little chatter in there. You know, our handlers were like, shh, shh, shh. I don't know what they were saying, but I bet you anything they were saying, 100 years old, come on, man. He didn't have no son. Yeah, that's, that's what I think they're saying, you know, stuff like that. That's the first time they heard it. We got back in the car. I remember telling David, I was like, do you, do you realize what would just happen? We, we just got to be the first ones. And now there's going to be a pastor going up there. We told this guy when we left. Every, every, each one of those, we were like, all right, there's going to be a pastor. He's going to come up here. He's one of you. He, he speaks Talagu. And he's got one of these books. And he's going to tell you about the God, the true God of the Bible, and what he's done for you and what he will do. And that's, I, I, I think that's why Paul was going to Spain. That's what I'm telling you. I think it was that excitement of being able to tell people who've never heard the gospel. So, hey, all right, let's, let's do this. This is the third service. We got as much time in the world. <laughs> My kids are looking in the window. We got, we got an event we got to get at, but 
Right, listen, 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 real quick, real quick. What if Paul had not had ambition? All right, now, here's a cool little history thing, okay? So in Acts, this is still called the Macedonian call, okay? So about midway through Paul's ministry, he, he doesn't know which way to go. And so he starts praying, and he tries to go to Asia. That would have been east, okay? What would have been modern day China, India? Okay, he, and it says the Spirit forbid him. He, he couldn't go that way. He closed the door. So he tries to go to Troas and Bithynia. And finally, he has a dream. Remember the Macedonian call? The man who said, come to my... Okay, that's, that is north and, and west. And from that point on, Paul's going north and west, north and west, north and west, all the way to this point where he's like, I'm headed to Spain as far west as I can go. Paul was obedient in his ambition. Okay, now, I just, I just want you to think through this. What if he had not? Now, I know God can do whatever he wants, but do you realize where we live. We live in a place, you know why this is here? Because the gospel saturated north and west all through Europe. And in about the 1400s and the 1500s and the 1600s, people in boatloads, Christians, came from that area where Paul had gone. And they came to this new land and they built a nation in which the gospel spread from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic. So I guess when I ask you, what if Paul had not gone? What, what, or what, what if he'd have gone east? You see what happened in the east, right? We're now pressing the gospel there, but it hasn't had the gospel for thousands of years. I just say that for this reason. I'm afraid some of you will be like, well, I don't need to do anything. If you have no ambition for the gospel, I don't know, maybe it won't affect continents like it would have for Paul, but I guarantee you it will affect your children. It will affect your grandchildren. It will affect your neighbors. Okay, you, you got to own that. You got to own that this morning. If God has plucked your feet out of hell and put his spirit inside of you and given you a mission and you turn around and say, I'm not going to do anything, that will have an effect. So, we're going to finish with the question again. What is your ambition? What do you want to do for Jesus? Father, help us with that question, God. I thank you, Father, that I get to be a part of this church that has had great ambition for the gospel, great ambition for ministry, great ambition for missions, great ambition for for saturating our community, the children of our community, the people of our community with the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But God, I pray that we, as individuals, that we might have a spiritual ambition to take the gospel somewhere. God, put that on us today. In Jesus' name, amen.